Thank you so much. Let's give it up for Jesus. Hallelujah. And you also thank you, Lord. Well, um, Vicky's story. Mm. <laughs> Vicky, I just had this dream. The Lord said we're to give away our your hairdryer, the cake mixer, <laughs> and the oven. <laughs> but I'll I'll wait till you get there, all right? So don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right. When your wife has a dream for you to give away your car, guys. Come on, <laughs> cut me some slack here. <laughs> I didn't get there that quick, <laughs> but I did get there, and the blessing of being able to give is amazing, and see God do great things. Well, uh, you know, as, as Pastor Tanira said, um, we're on the Romans road this month, just talking about um, some of the great things out of the book of Romans, and uh, <clears throat> Pastor Paul did a great opening message last week on some of the great themes in the book of Romans. And he, his message, take a step, take a look, and take a seat. Um, you can get that up on SoundCloud, a great message. encourage you to do that. So um, uh, this morning, I just want to just pray first up. Father, I just want to commit to you this word from the book of Romans. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. I pray that you'll open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, we know that your word in us produces such incredible life. And I pray this morning, Lord, that every person here will just be amazingly touched and blessed by your word. And Lord, that a new hunger will grow to search out your word, to be in your word, and to seek the gems and the treasures that are in the word of God. Lord, let it give us health and strength, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to bring you some quotes this morning. One of my purposes this morning is to inspire you, because this month of September is going to go by very quick, and the book of Romans is such a phenomenal place to study, to read, that you're going to get a little snippet of some of the things that are in that book, but there is so much. And I just want to inspire you this morning, if I can for you to read and to dig into this amazing book and find some of those treasures for yourself. And uh, so I want to just, a man called G.K. Chesterton, he was a well-known Christian writer and apologist, was once asked, what one book would you most want along with you if you're stranded on a desert island? He responded, <clears throat> Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. All right, so if you're stranded on an island, yes, that's what you need. But he said this, if asked the same question about a single book of the Bible, Chesterton and most Christians would choose Romans. Isn't that interesting? Romans covers a Christian life and theology like no other biblical book. The following testimonies, and I'm going to read some quotes and, um, that have been said over the years that have impacted people in a phenomenal way. And Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, the man who got the revelation that we get saved by believing what Jesus did for us, not by anything we can do ourselves. And don't you just love that song, Jaira? I'm not doing anything to hold him up. So there's nothing I can do to let him down. Isn't that great? That's, that's about being justified and and made right with God by what Jesus did, not by what I did or what I will ever do. But I received that amazing gift. Luther said this. He was studying 
the book of Romans, and he concluded that faith alone, our belief in what Jesus did, was the only thing that could make us right with God. And he said that um, later when he wrote a commentary on the book of Romans, he said the, the epistle or the letter of Romans is really the chief part of the New Testament. It's the purest gospel. And it is worthy that not only every Christian should know it word for word, but it should occupy a great, wonderful place in the heart. And every day we should read it. And it can never be read or pondered too much. So said Luther, one of the greatest reformers of church history. John Calvin, the Protestant reformer and father of the Reformed theology wrote, when anyone understands this letter, he has a sure road open to him for understanding the whole of Scriptures. Isn't that amazing? One book, the book of Romans, contains that. Um, Frederick Goderick, spiritual revival in the church will be connected to a deeper understanding of this book. The book of Romans is the cathedral of the Christian faith. These are great leaders and men. William Newell, great itinerant Bible teacher wrote, I have taught the book of Romans more than 80 times and the pastures are still green. The pastures are still green. C.H. Dodd wrote that Romans is the first great work of Christian theology. I would go even further. It's not only the first, but also the greatest work of Christian theology. No one in 2,000 years has written anything to match it. Amazing. John Wesley, founder of Methodism, was converted on May 24, 1798, reading Luther's introduction to Romans. Augustine, the most influential, one of the influential Church Fathers was converted reading Romans. Bruce Metcher, the great biblical scholar, called Romans the constitution of universal Christianity. Another two guys, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, said this letter is arguably the most influential book in Christian theology, perhaps in the history of Western civilization. So much has come to the church through this amazing book. And just finally, the great Welsh um, theologian, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in Westminster Chapel in London, preached 366 sermons on the book of Romans. And he needed that many to say what he was seeing in the book of Romans. And contemporary preachers today Another preacher, 224 sermons in the book of Romans. My hope is to stir some interest in you that this book is actually a marvellous place to go and mine and dig and understand, gain some of the great understandings. I just want to share with you a little illustration now. One time someone said to us, if you want to go looking for gold, there's a number of ways you can do it. You can wander off to one of those, some of our beautiful rivers in the South Island and uh, just walk the riverbed and maybe pick up some handfuls of gravel and you might just get lucky and find some gold. All right? Quite good fun, eh? Just looking for gold. And, uh, but someone else said, if you want to really increase your chances, get yourself a shovel and a gold pan. Go dig some gravel and sift it and look for some, you might, you'll get a whole lot more specks of gold. But if you want to get really serious, get yourself a high-tatchy digger. 
and a water sluice. <laughs> and um, you dig some big quantities of shingle, put them in the water sluice and let the river do the work and the gold will drop to the bottom um, in that uh, simple piece of equipment. Um, a couple of, two or three years ago, my younger brother and his friend, we were all hiking together and, and Vicky and I on that occasion needed to leave them and they carried on on this hike and um, they, they were coming down this last um, river valley in the South Island and they met these two guys and they were going up the track flat out, heading up the river and they stopped and talked to these guys and they'd already passed a Hitachi digger in the middle of the wilderness. I don't know how they got it in there. And um, this gold sluice. And these guys were in there looking for gold. But I remember Tony and, and John describing us the countenance of these guys. They were full-on gold hunters. And they had, have you ever heard of gold fever? When it's, it's this fever that gets hold of people that they have only one thing on their mind, Gold. And, he, and they said, these, this guy, these guys were like this. They hardly wanted to stop. You know, they had one thing on their mind. They got to get up to their digger and their gold sluice. But they'd actually got some, taken some serious gold out of that river. So I reckon God give us Bible fever. Amen. A desire to get into God's Word. Because I know nothing that will build the foundations of your life like mining the Word of God. You can be a casual reader and skip over a little bit. You can get a little bit more serious and really engage your mind. But if you really want the treasures out of the Word of God, you're going to have to dig. And uh, the book of Romans, when um, we started to, the theme came up um, to study, Rome, to preach from Romans, I was like, Wow. How are we going to do that in a month? <laughs> There's just so much treasure in this amazing book. And um, I want to just come back to the passage that Martin Luther transformed his life and some of the passages there um, and, and, and motivated so many amazing people. And I want to come today because I tell you, when I come to speak, I really do ask the Lord, but I hear it enormous difficulty trying to decide where to go in the book of Romans because it's like I want to go there and 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 I thought Romans 5 and then Pastor Ruth said are you preaching Romans 5 and I said oh no I won't if you do <laughs> so you got to get Romans 5 next week but um, there's so much treasure in this book I just have to choose a little bit and I want to just say I want to focus this morning on Romans 6 because this chapter if I could point to any part of Scripture in the whole of your Bible that has had more impact on my life than any other part, I would have to say it's Romans chapter 6. And I want to tell you a little bit of the context of why that is. And I hope today that you can see something of what I've seen in this amazing chapter. But I tell you this, you know, when I first came to Jesus, I was so overwhelmed that God would give His Son to die on the cross that I could be forgiven of my sins. And I gladly embraced that. And I felt the joy of being forgiven and this restored relationship with my heavenly Father. And you, many of you know what that is, the joy of forgiven sin, the joy of knowing that God Himself provided 
the sacrifice. He provided the atonement for our sin. But I began to discover very quickly after I had um, been had that experience of knowing and inviting Jesus into my life and the joy of forgiven sin, I found out pretty quick. Because on that day I said, Lord, thank you that I'm forgiven. Now I'm not going to sin anymore. That's finished now. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to sin anymore. Right. Quickly discovered that the process of the Christian life is that there's something fundamentally wrong with inside humanity that despite the fact that we're forgiven, we don't instantly understand how to stop doing the old things we did, how, we, how to not be angry anymore, how to not um, be jealous anymore, how to not speak bad things anymore. It doesn't happen instantly. And so there was this joy on one hand, but there was pain on the other. God, I'm forgiven, but I'm I keep doing the same things. And so began my search and I talked to others and they said, read the Romans 6. And I'd read Romans 6 and I'd read Romans 6. But it took a while. But eventually I began to see something amazing in, the, in this beautiful passage of Scripture. That not only had Jesus died to wash away my sin and provide forgiveness, but Romans 6 began to unlock the key that actually set me free. Hallelujah. I could actually stop being selfish. I could actually stop saying hurtful things. I could actually not just say, Lord, please forgive me, please forgive me. But I could actually be free from not doing the same stuff anymore. And oh, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful um, truth began to permeate my heart. And Missy, if you could just pop up there, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through, um, we'll go to about verse 11. But it just, let's just read some scripture. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That was me. I don't want to keep doing the old things and keep saying, Lord, please forgive me. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Oh, that's what I wanted. For we have been united together in the likeness of His death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Does that sound good to you? No longer slave to sin. That's what I wanted. And as I began to camp here, slowly it began to dawn on me that not only had Jesus died, shed His blood so I could be forgiven, but actually, Jesus had died and that, uh, that God had included me in that death and that old part of me that I inherited from Adam had been nailed to the cross in Jesus and that I had died in Him. And I thought, wow, dead men don't sin. Dead people can't sin. 
And I went, how does that work? God, how do I get that happening in my life? And God began to show me the simple truth that I, as I simply believed His Word and began to hold that over my life and say, Lord, thank You that I died. When Jesus died, I was in Him. And I died, when He died, I died. And that old fallen nature is dead. Hallelujah. When that began to really settle in my spirit, I began to see those things that I couldn't get free of drop away. The anger began to go. The selfishness began to go. Blessing was starting to come out of my mouth instead of other stuff. And I was not at the foot of the cross every day saying, Lord, please forgive me. I started to be able to live because you know what? Not only did Jesus take that old nature to the cross, He, in His place, raised us up in Him and in me now dwells the very life of Jesus. The very life of Jesus. The Christian life is not about you trying to reform your old nature. It's about seeing that God has already done it in Jesus Christ. And the more I began to understand Romans chapter 6, the more freedom began to come in my life. And I want to say until this day, doesn't mean that occasionally something I shouldn't do, still, I still do. But I say largely this, I'm not such a bad guy to be around now. <laughs> you can check it out with my wife because that's, you know, a reliable source. Those who live close to you. <laughs> so, the old nature nailed to the cross. By faith, you take that and begin to say this. He said, Paul said in verse 6, he said, knowing this, that my old man was crucified with Christ. How do you get to know it? Camp in Romans 6, praying for the spirit of revelation till your heart goes, Amen. I died when he died, and now I am free. And if you read on through Romans 6, you will find 13 times God puts that death in the old, in the past tense. You're not waiting to die, Christian. You've already been taken to death. You're not trying to kill the old nature. It's already been crucified. Already been crucified. If you want something that will set you free, then I encourage you, hang around Romans 6. And ask the Holy Spirit just to bring you the revelation that will set you free. You know, I began to discover very quickly as I began to live out my Christian life that all around me, many, many people were still in that struggle. And maybe you still are today. But I just want to encourage you and say there is a solution. God has provided a way. He did not leave us with forgiveness and then to struggle with an old nature. I've got a good friend down in Moidua. He runs Anger Management, which is a, a funded course by um, government. And he said, I get guys coming back for their third time through. 
and he's a, he's a believer and he says to them, he says, well, I can take you through anger management again. You know, you know the track. You've been down it three times. Or he said, I can offer you something different. And they said, give us something different. And he begins to tell them about the power of the cross to deal with the old nature that Jesus has taken that old life to the cross. And you know what happens? These guys, when they begin to understand that God came, he sent his son to die in our place so that our old life, that old fallen nature from Adam could be nailed to the cross and in its place, the life of Jesus. Man, I'm not trying to be patient. I'm just thanking God for Jesus' patience in me. I'm not trying to... Um, be gentle. I'm just thanking God that the gentleness of Jesus is in me. I'm not trying anymore. I'm just thanking Him. I'm just thanking Him that He is my life. And Scripture says that Christ is your life in Romans chapter 5. Preach it next week, Ruth. <laughs> Christ is our life. And so, um, you know, uh, just going on a little bit more in Romans um, chapter 6 verse 7 says for he who has died has been freed from sin now if we died with Christ we believe that we should also live with him knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died he died once for all but the life that he lives he lives to God likewise also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That little word in verse 11 saying, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin is an accounting term, which when you reckon something, it's because you've added the figures and it adds up to that amount and nothing can make it add any different. That's what it is. And so Paul's saying, verse six, knowing this, and then in verse 11, reckon it to be so. In other words, we say, God, I see life of sin happening in me. And God says, yes, son, but you count it so that you've died. And as you stand there in simple faith, holding on to what God said, and faith is simply believing what God said above what you feel and what you see happening in your life, faith will bring and release in you the very life of Christ. That old sin will go because it cannot remain when you remain in faith on counting it so, counting it so because God said so. And if He says my anger is over, then it's over. Yes. And even if you get me angry, I'm still going to say, yeah, but it's over. Yes. And I'm working it out. It's working out. I know it's so. It will be exactly as God says. Hey, that's what faith is. Believing what God says above your circumstance, above what you feel, above what it appears like. Faith still holds to what God says. Hallelujah. As I said 13 times in the past tense, His story is your story. If Jesus has died, has He died? You cannot not have died then because you were in Him. When He came in to your life, you entered into Him. And His history is your history. Hallelujah. <clears throat> this is actually good news. I know it might be a little hard to get your head around it. That's why you've got to mine in the book of Romans. You've got to mine it. You've got to camp in it. You've got to sit there and ponder over it. You've got to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Let me see. 
let me see, and you will see. Ah, hallelujah. Going on, just into the second part of that book, and I've got six minutes in chapter 6. Verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Don't let sin tell you what to do anymore, because it's dead, and we are in now free. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. As you track down through that chapter there, you're going to find a number of times that Paul's just saying, Apostle Paul's saying, now that you've been set free, he tells us to do something. He says, now that you're free, he said, present yourselves to the Lord. And I, you know, this is a, a following step, really. When we know that we've been set free, then God says, do something now with this body that I've set free. He said, present it to me. Present it to me. I never saw this part for quite some time, but then I began to understand it. And uh, I heard a beautiful illustration um, by a Chinese brother. He was sitting on a train in China, traveling from one city to another, and, and there were three guys playing poker, um, playing cards, and they wanted him to join in um, their game of poker, and they were doing some serious gambling. And he said to them, they said, hey, we need a fourth person in our in our game, would you please join us? And he said, I'm sorry, I can't. And they said, well, why not? And he said, um, I haven't got any hands. And they said, yes, you have. You've got hands. What do you mean you haven't got any hands? And he said, well, they're not mine anymore. I can't use them for that. Wow. What he was really saying is, I presented these hands to the Lord. They're not mine to do what I want anymore. They're His hands. They're hands for blessing. They're hands for laying on the sick. They're hands for giving a tender touch. And so the truth of the second part of Romans 6 is that we're to present ourselves unto the Lord. We're to take this body that has been to the cross, been set free from the power of sin, and now give it to the Lord for Him to occupy and to use for His purposes. And uh, why is this important? Because many of us thought that we could get forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Get set free from sin. Now, hallelujah, I can have a good life and do what I want. But He said, oh, no, no. I set you free for me, for Him. That I can dwell in you, that you can be my channel, my vessel, to carry me to the people of this world. I went, oh, 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 sorry, Lord. Back up here. And into Romans 6, present yourselves to the Lord. Present your body to the Lord. Present your feet, present your hands, present your eyes. Lord, these eyes are for looking at things that give you glory. These eyes are for reflecting your life. These eyes are for seeing what is good and not what is bad. They're for seeing flowers and not weeds. Hey, darling. <laughs> In the garden. They're for, they're for 
for His purposes. And so with every part of our body. It's His. It's not ours anymore. It's His. Wow. This is the pathway to freedom. So there's so many aspects. That's Romans 6 in half an hour. But I'll tell you what, if all I'm wanting to do is inspire you, church, because in one month it's impossible in four short messages that we could teach the book of Romans. It's just not possible. But I want to give you enough this morning that your hunger will grow, that you will begin to realize that within this book that's been called the Cathedral of the Christian Faith, it's been called the greatest work of theology. If there was one book above all others that could carry you through all the storms of life, it's this book. If we had none other, we could still have a powerful, amazing Christian life just with the book of Romans. And so it's going to be a lifelong journey. I've been in there for quite a few years and I'm still having fun. And I'm still unlocking and seeing things that just transform me and I just, it builds foundations in your life that gives you strength in the storms because you see the amazing goodness of God that He has done incredibly above and beyond what we could ask or think. And just two final scriptures closing out um, just not in the book of Romans, but 1 Corinthians 1.30. Missy, if that's so oh, good, you've got that so quick. Awesome. Isn't she amazing? Thank you, Missy. But of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. All right? God put you in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God. Do we need that in this hour? Oh, we need wisdom. And righteousness, not of our own doing, but of His work at the cross. Sanctification, that's the cleaning up of this life and redemption. God put us in Jesus. He did it. We don't have to try and get in there. We're in. And Paul, this well-known scripture from Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is great apostle. He just testified, he said, the old Paul died on, on the Damascus road when I encountered Jesus, surrendered my life to him. And Paul gave himself to this amazing task of carrying the revelation of the gospel to the known Gentile world. And Paul could say that he says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is the simple secret of the Christian life. It's not I, but Christ. Amen. If you see anything good in this guy, you just know it's Jesus. Because I'm not that good. I'm not that good. It's just the life of Christ. And so, but that's available to us all. That's available to us all. And so I want to really encourage you this morning, just as we close out, maybe you're sitting here in the auditorium and you think, well, how I... What does it mean to receive Jesus? Well, it just simply means this, that all of us, as Pastor Paul um, shared with us last week, and you can read that in the first few chapters of the book of Romans, tells us that we all fell in that fall with Adam in the Garden of Eden, lost our relationship with God, that close connection of intimacy that he always meant us to have. And we fell into a life of governing ourselves and selfishness and we fell into 
all kinds of terrible things as a result of that Garden of Eden experience where Adam lost his fellowship with God. Well, when you come and recognize your need of God's help, both to forgive you for what you've done and to receive the power to live a new life, then the opportunity, your heart is ready to say, Jesus, please, I want to accept that sacrifice you made and have you come and dwell in my life.